I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, we thank you indeed for this word that you have for our lives this morning. We know that, Father, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we receive the incorruptible seed of your word, as it is transplanted into our hearts, our lives will never be the same. And just like you said, heaven and earth will pass away before your word does. Which means that as we apply your word in the areas of our lives that we need it, those areas will never be the same. They must change because your word won't change. And so as I decrease now, I thank you for the Holy Spirit feeding every person in this room the spiritual manner of your word. And we declare in advance... That signs, miracles, and wonders will follow the word in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're still in the series on getting your life together. And as I was meditating this week, one of the things that kept coming to me was the best way to get your life together And obtain God's best for your life is to obey God in every area of your life. Everybody say, obey God. Obey God God in every area of your life. And in my opinion, most people's lives are like a house. In fact, if you read God's word, you'll see that every time it talks about a house or a home, it's typically talking about a person's life. And... uh, A house has many rooms. You have like the den and the kitchen. You have closets. You have the bedroom. And that's how a person's life is. And sometimes we can obey God in one area of our life, but then we're not obeying God in another area of our life. And so my goal today with the message is to encourage you to just focus and make up your mind. I'm going to obey God in every area of of my life. So today's topic, if you want to write it down, is obeying for God's best. Obeying for God's best. And I want you to find two verses of scripture. I want you to find Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 8. You notice we don't have the screen, so you're going to have to follow me this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 8. And then I want you to find Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9. That was Deuteronomy 30, verse 8, and Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 9. The average believer does not realize the importance of obedience. Obedience is the bridge. Everybody say bridge. It's the bridge between God's promises and our manifestation. In other words, God's promises over uh, over here and the manifestation of those promises are over here. But in order for us to get the manifestation, we have to what I call, we have to obey God in the middle until we receive the promise. And many people, the average person doesn't understand how important obedience is. Obedience can cause blessings to flow in your lives, even if you have not learned how to use your faith the way you need to. Many times in my life, before I learned how to use my faith, 
I just obey God, and in obeying God, the things that I desired and the things that He promised just came into my life. Can someone say amen? amen. I remember years ago, everybody say years ago. Years ago, when I was uh, in college and had just gotten saved, I knew that I wanted to get married one day. So, you know, as a single person, you got this list and you want to write down all the traits you uh, desire to see in this person. And, and I'll never forget, the Lord said to me, Eben, you looking for a princess, but you act like a frog. And I don't know about you, that's how God just talks to me. And, and so I knew exactly what he meant. And what he was saying is, you want somebody to be something you're not. And that's what most people want, most single people want. They have this ideal person in mind, but guess what? They're not even the person that they're looking for. And so uh, I decided to start getting myself together so when I met the person that God had for me, I wouldn't have to get my life all the way together. I was already getting it together. And one of the things that I had to do is learn how to obey God. And I'll never forget uh, when I was single, I went to uh, the missions field with the church that I was a part of. And this is years ago. And we went to Jamaica. And we went to the bush part of Jamaica. And I'm talking about where there was no running water. There was no electricity. I mean, it was just the bush. And I'll never forget, I felt the prompting inside for God telling me to come back and go to school there in Jamaica. And I didn't want to obey that prompting. I said, no, no, no. Because first of all, I didn't like taking cold showers. I don't care how hot it is outside, you still want a little hot water in that shower. And the school that we were, uh, that, that we were staying at on the missions trip didn't have no hot water. So that was a problem. The second problem was they didn't speak complete, the complete language that I knew of. You know, Jamaicans, they speak English, but they also speak Patois. That's a form of broken English. So there was a language barrier there. And then the third one, which was huge to me, was the, the food that they ate. It was completely different from the food that I ate. You know, I'll never forget, you know, they had a delicacy called Manish water. Manish water was a, uh, a delicacy that they, they uh, actually served at like weddings and big events like that. And what it was, the second name for this was called goat head soup. And I'll never forget, I was, at a, I was invited to a wedding, and I got to the wedding, and they were serving Manish water. And so uh, I'm smart by now because I'm a missionary. I'm not going to eat it unless I can see it. So they served it in this white foam cup, you know, the styrofoam cups. And uh, I said, well, let me stick my fork down off in here before I start eating this soup. And I stuck my fork down there, and it was a row of teeth this big. And the teeth were black. That goat had never been to the dentist. How many know I gave that soup to somebody else? But had I not obeyed God, I would not have met the wife that I have today. Amen. And so most people feel that obedience is for God or the other person and not necessarily them. So are you in Deuteronomy chapter 30? I want to hopefully show you that you got to see that obedience is not for God. Obedience is for us. In Deuteronomy 30, I'm starting verse 8, it says, And you shall return and obey. Everybody say obey. Obey, circle that in your Bible. Obey the voice of the Lord and do some of his commandments. Do all of his commandments which I command you this day. 
And the Lord your God will make you plenteous. Watch what's going to happen as a result of your obedience. He will make you plenteous in every work of your hand. He's saying if you obey me in every area of your life. He says when you go to work. I'm going to make sure you come out with plenty more than what you need. He says I'll make you plenteous in the works of your hands. In the fruit of your body. And in the fruit of your cattle. And in the fruit of your land for good. For the Lord will rejoice over you with good, for good, as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law. Now, if you notice here, he said there was a reward for obeying God. He says, if you will obey him, then these things are going to happen for you. Write down Job 36, 11. It says, if we obey and serve him, we will spend our days in prosperity and our years in pleasures. Most people would love to see God bless them so much that they consistently live a life in pleasure and in prosperity. How many in here would love to see a consistency of prosperity and a consistency of blessing? Everybody would, but here's the key. He says, if we obey and serve him. So obedience can take my life from being dry over here to being prosperous. And here again, I'm going to say it again. Most people feel that obedience is for God. If I were to take a show of hands and say, how many in here believe that when you obey God, it's for him? Most people would raise their hand, wouldn't you? Most people say, yeah, he wants me to obey, and that's why I do it. But I'm going to show you today that obedience really is for you. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look in verses 9. Hebrews 12, 9. It says, furthermore, I'm in verse 9. I'm going to keep reading to verse 11. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection or submission unto the father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they, talking about our natural fathers and parents, they verily for a few days chasten or discipline us, but it's after their own pleasure. But he for our what? Profit. In other words, when God disciplines us, he disciplines us because it's for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, after what? After the discipline, after the chastening, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised by it. Now, I want to read this same verse in the message translation. Listen to what it says. We must respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. In other words, he's saying... When we obey God, it's actually for our profit. Now, if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of, uh, turn over to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. Here's a question that I have. How many in here are shy when it comes to 
public stuff. Like if I wanted to ask you to come up here and, and do something, how many would be very shy to do that? Let me see your hand. Let me just see your hand. Okay. All right. Keep your hand up real high. All right. So you'd be real shy. All right. All right. My man right here in the hat. Right here. Yeah. I know you shy. You said you, you want to do that. But I got $100 right here for you. Will you come get it? You don't want to come get this? It's real. I'm going to give it to you. It's really $100. Oh, somebody stole your cell phone. So look at that. God is replacing your cell phone right here with your shy self. Come on down. <laughs> Y'all give Mr. Shy a big hand. <laughs> now, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do to get this $100 bill is to raise your hands up right here in front of everybody and just say hallelujah. Can you do that? Let me see you do it. Hallelujah. 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 You, praise the Lord. Now, I got some more money in my pocket. Now, how many here say they shy again to do something in front of people like that? Let me see. Why why am I getting more hands this time? (laughs) All right. Now, I got some money right here, but I'm not going to ask you to come down this time. What I'm going to ask is, if I were to ask you to come down, do the same thing he did for the same $100 bill, how many of you shy people would come and do it? Let me see your hand. All right, now let me tell you why you would do it. The only reason you would come down and do it is because you forgot about the discomfort of the request and you focused on the receiving of the reward. I'm going to say that again. The only reason you forgot about how shy you were and what you had to do to get up here is because you forgot about the discomfort of the request. And you focused on the receiving of the reward. And that's how obedience works. You have to forget about how uncomfortable the decision to obey is. And you have to embrace the reward that God's going to bless you with after you you do it. In other words, stop looking at the discomfort of the person cussing you out. And embrace the fact that the scripture says, you know what? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's what you have to say. And when you embrace that, even though they cussing you out, you embrace the fact that you're not going to do the same thing. You know what's going to happen? God is going to reward you. So now watch this. Here's my first point that I want you to write down. Obedience is always for us even though others may sometimes benefit. I'm going to say that again. Obedience, say obedience. Obedience is always for us, even though others may sometimes benefit. Are you in 1 Kings chapter 17? Now, this story is about Elijah, and Elijah was getting ready to be led by God to be fed by a widow woman. And I'm going to show you through the story because the story a lot of times focuses on the widow woman being fed by Elijah. But that's the wrong focus I want to look at this morning. The focus I want you to focus on is really what her feeding Elijah did for her. Are you in 1 Kings 17? Look in verse 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Get you hence and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook chariot. That is before Jordan. And it shall be that when you drink of the brook, I have commanded, say commanded, 
Circle that in your Bible. God said to Elijah, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook chariot that belongs to or before Jordan. And the ravens brought him what? Bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the what? Evening. And he drank from the brook. Now let me ask you a question. Did it sound like God was providing for Elijah? Absolutely. God provided him with breakfast. I don't know what happened to lunch. But then God provided him with dinner. He used birds to bring him bread and meat. So something is about to happen in this story. Now let's jump down to verse 7. It says, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Here is why it dried up. Because there had not been any rain in the land. Verse 8. And here I just want to insert this. Anytime you have some provision in your life that dries up. All you have to do is look for the word of the Lord. Because if you notice when the brook dried up and the ravens stopped bringing him food. Guess what happened in verse 8. The word of the Lord came. Look in verse 9. He says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zion. And, and I want you to stay there. And behold, watch this now. I have what? Commanded. Circle that word, commanded. I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you. So this time he says, you know what? The first time I had you at a brook and I had some birds feeding you. But this time I want you to go and I'm going to have a widow woman to feed you because I've already commanded her to do that. Here's my question. Did God need the widow woman to feed Elijah? No, because he fed Elijah with some birds the first time. So watch this. That lady's obedience that we're about to look at, her obedience looks like it was for the man of God, but her obedience was really for her. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. He got to the gate of the city. And behold, there was a widow woman. She was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and he said, fetch me, I pray, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, some of that may sound like a real simple request. But remember now, it had stopped raining for three years. So water was a scarce. So even though she had some. It was really a scarcity at that point. It was, I mean, we're talking about not no rain for three years. Look now in verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called and he said, bring me, I pray, a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God live, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in the cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said, fear not. Go and do what you have said, but make me a little cake. What? First, bring it to me. And then after that, make one for you and your son. For thus says the Lord, here's the promise. Here's the reward. The barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail or stop until the day the Lord sends rain. And she went and did. She obeyed. Now, watch this. Was the obedience for Elijah or for her? We're about to see. It says here. And she went and did according to what she said. And she and he and her house did eat many days. The barrel of meal did not stop, nor did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of Elijah. Watch this. That lady thought that she was feeding Elijah for God when really she was feeding Elijah for her. 
obedience always looks like it's for the other person or for God when it's really for us. And so when you are obeying, when God is challenging you to be obedient in a situation, you got to remember, listen, you forgiving that person is not for the person, it's for you. You being the right person in that marital relationship, it's not for that person. It's actually for you. Amen. Listen, uh, go to Jeremiah. Let let me read Jeremiah 7.23. You just write that down. It says, but this thing commanded I them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may go well with you. Listen, when you obey God, things go well. Look what happens. He said, but they hearken not, nor incline their ear, but walked in the counsel and the imagination of their evil heart. And they went backwards and not forward. So obedience, listen, obedience pushes me forward. Disobedience pushes me backwards. Listen, obedience, here's another way of saying it. Obedience prospers me. When disobedience breaks me. Here's another way of saying it. Obedience pushes me to the front of the line. So why wouldn't we obey God on a consistent basis? Let me show you another verse. Jeremiah 42, 6 says, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of God. Here's another version of that scripture. Whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we send you with our plea. For if we obey him, everything will turn out well for us. Listen, obedience always causes things to work out better for you. So here's the question. Why do we struggle so much with it? I found out why. Because our perception of of obedience is wrong. See, it's your perception that becomes your reality, whether reality is reality or not. In other words, if you feel that driving on the wrong side of the road is the right thing to do, eventually you're going to die. Because your perception, and you can stop, the the cop stops you, just like he's been stopping my wife lately. And give you a ticket for driving on the wrong side of the road. And you say, well, officer, I feel that driving on the other side is the right way to go. And he can say, well, you can believe that all you want to. I'm still going to give you this ticket and say you need to drive on the other side. So it's not, it's, it's, it's your perception that governs that. And many people don't obey. But I'm, going here, I'm here to help you because here's the first thing that I, that I found out that can help you when you obey. Here's this. No, here's point number two. Obeying helps to purify my heart, my soul, my mind. Obeying helps to purify. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1. When you obey God's word, a transfusion takes place. Regardless of how dirty or how bad the thoughts are, are in your heart, in your soul, regardless of how bad the experience you may have had that was negative was in your life, if you consistently obey God, what happens is your obedience washes those experiences out of your life. In other words, whatever you have struggled with in the past, the way to get them out is through obedience. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, if you're there, say I'm there. 
He says, seeing you have purified your what? Souls. Now your soul consists of your mind, your will, your thoughts, and how you feel. Everybody say my mind, my will, my thoughts, and how I feel. Let's say it again. Mind, will, thoughts, and how you feel. So he's saying, seeing you have purified, the word purified means to make clean. Seeing you have made clean your souls, your mind, your thoughts in obeying the what class? The truth. So listen, my mind can get cleansed when I obey. Your mind does not get clean just because you know. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth makes you free. It makes you free from the sense of, you know, now you have the ability to become free, but you don't get free until you now do what you know. And so what happens is when you start obeying the word, a transfusion takes place. I love first Peter in the living Bible. This is what it says. Now you can have real love for everyone because your souls have been cleansed from selfishness. And hatred when you trusted Christ to save you. So see to it that you really do love each other warmly with all your hearts. For you have a new life. It was not passed on to you from your parents. For they, the life they gave you will fade away. This new one will last forever. For it comes from Christ. He said, you know what? Regardless of what your parental history is. He's saying if you obey the truth. That truth is going to give you a new life. Amen. Jesus said in John 15, 3, now you are clean through my word, which I've spoken to you, which says when we obey God's word, it cleanses us from the old man and strengthens our new man. See, there's an old you in there and there's a new you in there. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 15, 5, 5, 17, it says, behold, uh, every... Any person who's in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. In other words, you are a new creation. But you know what? When you obey the word, what happens is it cleanses you from the old man and it strengthens your new man. Every act of obedience is like turning on clean water that flushes your old sinful ways and the memory of them all together. Think about it. See, I used to cuss really bad. I mean, like back in the day, everybody say back in the day. Yeah, I'm talking about 31 years ago. Nobody in this room could beat me cussing. You could put all y'all's cuss words together in one sentence and I will still beat you cussing. It was so bad. It was part of my regular language. I didn't even know when I was cussing. It was so bad that when I didn't cuss, people would go, you didn't cuss. It was bad. Well, I would love to tell you that when I got saved, it just went away. It didn't just go away. It took a couple of years for that to get out of my system. But just listen, it was through obeying. In other words, now when it was time for me to cuss somebody out, this was the strategy God gave me, which he wants to give to some of y'all here. Because we have some cussers in the room right now. Everybody close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes real quick. Come on. Everybody close your eyes. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Close your eyes. How many people still cussing? Let me see your hand. Praise the, put your hand down. A lot of hands in the room. A lot of hands in the room. Okay. Let me tell you what the Lord told me to do. He told me to listen to people who still cuss. 
and see how bad it sounded. Because when you cuss, really, you're saying, I don't have any other words beyond my vocabulary to say. So I started just listening to people that cuss, and it sounded so bad. And so slowly, I started getting the word. You know, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I had to learn the word so I could keep my tongue in order. And in doing that, guess what? It started flushing out. Listen to what I'm saying. It started flushing out the cuss words, which right now you can run over my toe with a car. I will not cuss. Because cussing ain't in me no more. It has been washed out with the obedience from the word of God. And because we watch this, every act of obedience is like turning on clean water that flushes out your old sinful ways and the memory of the other one goes away. So you want to stop struggling with that pornography that you've been dealing with? Listen, obey God and the memories will be flushed out. So here's the question. How do I apply obedience to my life? So that I am consistently obedient to his word so I can be in position for his best. Here's number one. You need to know this. You need to know that when you apply obedience, there are four ways you can apply obedience. There are four ways. Everybody say four ways. Here's the first way. You can apply obedience with an emotional-based response. Emotional-based response. And this is where our feelings dictate our actions. These are people who... They just go by what they feel. You say something to them, they don't even process it based on what you said. They process it based on how they feel about what you said. And this is why a lot of times when you say something, they didn't hear a word you said. All they heard was what it made them feel like. But I felt you said you didn't love me. All you said was, babe, listen, it's very hard for me to keep our budget on track. If you don't, you know, abide by the guidelines and all you heard was you don't love me. How did you get that out of that? Everybody say emotional based response. It's when we make choices based on our feelings and not our faith. These are sense driven decisions. Emotional reactions to obedience normally result in short term satisfaction, but with negative long term consequences. In other words, when you make decisions Based on an emotional response, typically what happens, you watch this, you are now making a decision that is typically short term to make you feel good, but long term it ends up being a negative decision. It's like dating someone because you're lonely. Haven't been on, mm-hmm, I got a whale over there. Uh, haven't dated somebody in a, you know, in a couple of months. And now, you, you know, you're getting the, oh, I want to know if I still got it. I want to know if I still look good. I want to know if I still the, the player from the Himalaya. <laughs> so you go on a date with somebody you know ain't even for you. So watch this. It's a short-term decision based on an emotional response, but it could have negative long-term decisions like getting pregnant out of wedlock with with the wrong... Ain't nothing like being pregnant by the wrong person. How many have been pregnant by the wrong person? Let me see. Oh, praise the Lord. How many got somebody pregnant with the wrong person? (laughs) Got some men raising their hand. Praise the Lord. See, that's what happened with David and Bathsheba. He made an emotional, a sense-driven decision to the point that it got him to kill somebody. 
to get their wife. So we got an emotional-based response. Shouldn't respond that way. Here's a second one. A situational-based response. And this is where our obedience is based on what's going on in and around our lives. Instead of responding to what we know is right, we react to what is happening to us. And, and here's the number one reason. I missed saying this in the first service. But here's the number one reason most Christians do not consistently obey God. It's because we play the blame game. It always feels better when it's somebody else's fault. Ask Adam and Eve. Listen, when the serpent talked to Eve, Eve ate the fruit. God came to Eve. Eve said, you know, it's the serpent that told me to do that. Then she said, okay. He got to Adam. He says, Adam, why did you eat the fruit then? She said that the serpent told her to do it. What's your problem? He said, well, that woman you gave me, she's the problem. In other words, the blame game is easy to do. And what we don't realize is God is not looking at who did something to us. He's looking at how we responded to them. Let me tell you something. If you stay in a righteous position, God will back you up every single time. See, when Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, let's, let's just put a hypothetical out there. What if Eve had ate the fruit and then she handed it over to Adam and he says, Hey, girl, you on your own. I'm not eating that. And she, you know, put those sad eyes on her. Why not, Adam? No. So Adam decides, I'm not going to eat the fruit. Well, what eventually would have happened? Let me tell you what would have happened. They would have had Cain and Abel, just like they did. But Cain and Abel, watch this now, would not have been born sinners. Here's why. Because the blood that determines the blood type of the child does not come from the mother. It comes from the father. And this is why God was able to still use a sinful woman, even though she was a virgin. She was a sinful woman because sin is in the bloodstream. He still was able to use her to bring Jesus out. And even the reason why Jesus still came out with clean blood is because the blood came from the father. So if Adam and Eve, if she would have messed up and he decided not to, then once they had kids, Cain and Abel would have still been born righteous because they would have had Adam's blood. Eve would eventually have died and he would have had to marry somebody else. And everybody else would have still lived forever. But watch this. It's because he would have stayed in a righteous position. I wonder, man of God, why things are going so bad in your home. Maybe it's because you done got out of position. I, you know, li- listen, the body can't go nowhere that the head don't go. I mean, why are the kids running rampage? Maybe it's because you have gotten out of position as the head. Amen. If we were in the marriage seminar, I would say something a little bit deeper than that, but I'm going to keep it right there. Amen. Everybody say a situational-based response. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and verses 7 through 9 is when Samuel, I mean Saul, who was crowned king, God told him, listen, don't do this. And he did it, and when God came to him and the the prophet said, why did you do that? He said, well, the people told me to do it. Everybody say blame. But then we have the next one as we get ready to close here. We have a promise-driven response. Now, I like this one. 
even though there's another higher response that I want to show you. Now, a promise-driven response when you obey God is this. It's the type of obedience when a person chooses to obey God's word knowing that God is going to reward them for doing so. Let's take Peter as we get ready to close. Peter. Jesus asked him to use his boat to go fishing. He said, Peter, can I use your boat to go fishing? I mean, to uh, preach to people. Peter says, sure. So Peter gets on the boat. I mean, uh, Jesus and Peter get on the boat, and Jesus is preaching to the people. When, Peter got, when Jesus got through, he said to Peter, Peter, tell you what. Now, I want you to launch out. Just go out here, and uh, you're going to catch a lot of fish. And Peter said, you know what? We've been working all night. So I don't know how you think in the daytime we're going to catch fish because we didn't even catch none at night. He said, but you know what? Nevertheless, I'll obey. Nevertheless. In other words, he decided, I'm going to obey you anyway. You know what happened? Peter got blessed with a boatload of fish. He had so much fish, he had to call somebody else and get some help. And that's what happens when you obey with a promise-driven response. When you say, you know what? I'm going to obey God because there's a blessing on the other side of this. But then there's another level of obedience. And that is what I call principle-driven response. Now, what's this one? This type of response to obedience is where I choose to obey God because it's the right thing to do. Now, that's a high principle. Let me tell you why. You can write this down as a take-home statement. You can never go wrong doing what's right. This is, that, this is where the principle by itself, this is where you say, you know what? Whether God rewards me or not, this is still right. This is where you choose to not cheat, not because you can't get caught, but because God's word says, hey, listen, honor your spouse. Obey me. Honor me. This is when you choose to live a celibate single life, not because nobody don't live with you and nobody will ever find out that you're sleeping around. Oh, Jesus, you should look at y'all's faces right now. <laughs> touch your neighbor, say neighbor. I know you ain't sleeping around. Look, touch your other neighbor, say neighbor. Don't touch me. I don't know if your hand's clean. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. A principle-driven response. This is where you've matured in your Christianity. And whether the reward is... Let me just say this. God will always reward obedience. Always. But this level of response is where you're mature and you say, you know what? Whether he rewards me or not, he's a good God. And I know that just doing this, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And I believe, I told the first service this as I close. God will put a message like this on my heart because he's standing at the door of our lives waiting to open it with tons of blessings. But the only way we're going to get them is that we're going to have to consistently obey him. And some of you all, he's wanting you to obey in some areas that are secret that nobody else knows about. He wants you to obey to the point that there are some blessings that are going to flood your life. The scripture says that he will pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. That's what he's wanting to do, but he can only do it with our obedience. And Father, I declare over our church now and over everybody who hears my voice now 
that they're going to make a decision today to obey you in every area of their lives. And as they do, Lord, I thank you that this church will run over with blessings. That, Father, every area of their lives will be blessed. Everything that they touch will be blessed. Every place that they go will be blessed. They will be blessed going in and blessed coming out. They'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They'll be blessed at home and they'll be blessed at work. Their children will be blessed. Their homes will be blessed. Their possessions will be blessed. Their cars will be blessed. And Lord, we thank you that people will look at them and say, you are blessed. And it will only be because they chose to obey you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Well, in order for you to